For the week of Wednesday, July 11th, 2018, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephan Cox. Hello. On this week's show, in our continuing coverage of immigration, we talk with State Senator Lisa Wellman about the bill she sponsored called Keep Washington Working, which is aimed at protecting our immigrant workers. There are such a vital and always have been a vital part of the economy of the United States and very much of the state of Washington. We also check in with Stephen Wilhelm for this week's Calls to Action and with Aaron Albanese for our calendar of events. That's all ahead, so stay with us. In our continuing coverage of the immigration crisis, I thought it would be informative to talk about what is being done here at the state level, specifically in terms of legislation. So I am very happy to welcome back to the program State Senator Lisa Wellman. She is the primary sponsor of a bill called Keep Washington Working, a.k.a. Senate Bill 5689, which is aimed at addressing a number of issues facing immigrants here in the state. Senator Lisa Wellman, thank you so much for joining us again. Well, thank you for having me. This is an important issue, and I'm really happy to have the opportunity to speak about it to your audience. Well, you know, I I saw you speak about this last week at a meeting, and I thought it would be enormously important for people across the state to hear this. So uh, let's just jump in. Um, You know, I want to start by framing this with a reality that I think is uncomfortable for a lot of people, and that is here in Washington, there are hundreds of thousands of undocumented workers and many businesses here in the state could not function without them. So what, first of all, what made you want to take this issue on? Well, let's go back to when I was campaigning. Um, one of the members of my party uh, gave us room in her office, and it so happens her name is Carol Brown, and she's an immigration uh, lawyer. Uh, and you just could not be in and around her office and what she's doing without hearing stories and and really starting to focus on what the heck was happening with immigration. I have to confess, it wasn't something that I was that conscious of before. And then Carol asked me if I would talk to the Latino Alliance, because things were happening across the state where people were being rounded up and were being pulled out of their homes, uh, whether they were documented or undocumented, um, and then taken, you know, sometimes taken by the police uh, to ICE, and and things were happening. And it was very distressing to me. I had the meeting with the Latino Alliance, and I said, "Um, you are such a vital part of this state. We, I appreciate all the things that the, the Latinos bring to the state of Washington. And so, you know, I want to find out more about this. And as I looked into it, um, I saw that there was a need to take this issue on, for somebody to take this issue on. And, and so um, I was pleased to be able to do it. Well, the bill is entitled Keep Washington Working, and uh, I don't know if you were responsible for the naming of the bill, but the language doesn't suggest that it's aimed at protecting undocumented workers. So why is it named Keep Washington Working? Well, it is named that because I said that's what we're going to call Okay, it. so it was your call. All right. That was, my, that was my call. I think that we have to understand um, issues in a holistic sense. Um, and, you know, when you put on the CEO cap at, at some point in your career, you see things, you have to see things in, in a systems way. And, and you know, the, the bottom line is that immigrants on any level, documented, undocumented, wouldn't be here, wouldn't be coming to our country or to our state if there weren't jobs and people weren't hiring them, documented or undocumented. 
And so I, you know, are looking into um, immigrants uh, as part of our workforce. What I discovered is that they are such a vital and always have been a vital part of the economy of the United States and very much of the state of Washington. And so I was concerned, especially, you know, it came it came to all of us but when we had that issue at the airport where the governor stepped in and Attorney General Ferguson stepped in because people, uh, one gentleman who worked at Microsoft was here on a visa, was, you know, whatever, was stopped at the airport and it was a big hullabaloo. Yeah. And, you know, talking to Microsoft and finding out that 30% of their workforce is here on visas, many of whom have, many of those people have applied for citizenship, et cetera. And Microsoft was saying, hey, if there's going to be a hassle about immigration and about having, you know, people here on visas and having, you know, this kind of trouble, we'll move these people to, to Vancouver, uh, B.C. Um, we, you know, that's not that far away. We have an office there. And I thought, yeah, no, we don't want those people in, in Vancouver, we don't want anything diminished about the role that Microsoft plays in our state and in our country. Well, so you're bringing up a very important point here about this bill, and that is the fact that it not only is aimed at protecting uh, undocumented workers, but it's also aimed at protecting legal immigrants to the H-1B visa holders as well. Absolutely. You know, when you're an H-1B visa and your parents come in from another country, how are they greeted? In many cases, and let's just specifically talk about it, because on the east side here where I, I live in, in my district, um, we have I have many residents uh, who are, uh, they may not be constituents of mine, they may or may not be able to vote, but their parents come to visit from other countries. They said, you know, if you're to see their grandchildren. Um, they stay for a couple of months sometimes, and they spend money in our community. I mean, this is an economic engine. And, and as I looked at it, it seemed to me that really we don't want to send a message either as the country or as the state. And I can't do anything about the country, but I can do something about Washington State. We don't want to send a message that this is a hostile work environment. Right. Well, you know, and I want to uh, really get to how this bill helps uh, immigrants to the state. But, yeah, let's unpack a little bit about how this specifically helps businesses. I mean, you've said uh, that the, it'll encourage new businesses to come here to the state. And I imagine that's because they can then hire workers without threat of those workers being uh, harassed by uh, local law enforcement, correct? Absolutely. And, you know, as we go around our daily lives, we interface with any number of state agencies just because we may, you know, whether you're you're documented, you're undocumented, whatever, if you have a car, you have to get tabs. You have to make sure, you know, you have insurance. You have to, you, you do all kinds of things that interface with, other parts of the of the society and uh, you know the the mechanisms of our society you don't need to be asked at every one of those stages can i see your papers right are you are you an american are, i mean this is just not anything that that reflects who we are and and how we serve the people and so it hasn't been in the past and there's no reason for it to be, you know, in the future. Of course, in terms of the security of the state and, and you know, kind of our borders, uh, there are check-in places and there are people who manage that. But on a daily basis for the state, uh, when you're, you know, when you're stopped for something or you're asking for help for something, there's no need to, the first thing to do is to ask 
are you documented? Are you undocumented? Are you an American? Are you not an American? Well, so, you know, it makes sense that businesses would be on board with this. But you've also uh, pointed out that the bill is supported by labor organizations. And that seems odd on its face. Uh, wh- why do you suppose that you're getting the support from state labor organizations? Well, I, you know, I, I think, again, because a healthy economy that keeps people working um, and keeps our economy flourishing, which provides good wages, et cetera, is just important. Uh, so we don't want the kinds of hassles, uh, you know, that, that interfere with business. If there, there are issues where people are, in, you know, in any way doing wrongdoing. This is nothing in this bill or in anything that we want to do that would say to police, uh, you know, kind of if somebody's committing a crime, we want to facilitate the heck out of, out of any help that we can give. And they should have absolutely. Well, sure, um, that gets into the public safety issue. And but that... far, yeah, so going back to your question, sorry about that. But no. Going back to your question as far as labor is concerned, again, the mechanisms of business, when we look at whether it is the hospitality industry, whether it is um, medical in, in hospitals and, and clinics, et cetera. We have people in all kinds of uh, situations, uh, born in this country, here on visas, naturalized Americans, and obviously some with, you know, some undocumented. But again, immigration is such a vital part of those populations. The tree fruit growers in the, in the eastern part of the state, especially, um, I've been working with them. Um, we need the crops in. Now, if, if we want to set something up where they have groups of people from another country coming in on temporary visas and then, you know, returning. Um, but let me tell you, if we don't have people coming in to do that work, it doesn't get done. Right. Um, and, and state after state has seen the results of, you know, messing, you know, messing with that. And so the tree for growers are very much supportive of this. Um, as is the hospitality industry, the tech industry, et cetera. So um, I, I really felt that all the engines of the economy were very much supporting what, what we were doing. Yeah. Well, and there you just laid out the case as to why the bill is named to keep Washington working. Um, and, you know, you also talked a little bit about the ways we, we kind of touched on public safety as one of the ways that this uh, helps undocumented workers by making crime victims feel safe and calling and cooperating with the police. Let's talk about some of the other ways that it helps uh, the undocumented population here. I mean, first, it would provide protection from arrest and deportation. And there are a number of ways that it does this. Can you talk about some of those? Well, it simply says that, as I as I indicated, that um, when you you may have a civil warrant, um, we don't act on civil warrants in terms of you have a traffic ticket, you have something you know on your record such as that, um, and so we are under no compulsion. Uh, where there's not any kind of crime committed, we're under no compulsion to uh, interface uh, with federal agencies like ICE. And we want to specifically have the police understand that that is not a behavior that is is helpful. Because what happens, as you can imagine, um, as happened down in in, in Southgate area, uh, where a young man, father of of, uh, two children, Called the police because somebody was on his property uh, that I I believe he rented, but on the property and um, fooling with his car, and he thought he was going to have his his car stolen. He didn't he didn't want to address 
that situation. He, rightly so, he called the police. Um, there was a warrant on his record because when the police are called for anything, you know that they look you up at a database and they want to make sure that you haven't been in, in domestic violence or they want to know what they're getting into. Right. Um, so when there is a civil warrant, there's no compulsion for them. There's no you know, uh, technical reason why they have to do anything on that warrant. They should be there to make sure that somebody who's trying to break into your car, steal your car, is taken care of. You know, that's the criminal. Um, and in this case, uh, the police interacted, uh, took the young man and, and drove him to ICE. Um, the, the guy who was on the car, you know, since since the person who called wasn't there any longer, they let him go. There was nothing, you know, going on with that. And people in the community said, I'm not going to call the police. Now, that's not what we want to have happen. No. Um, if your name is, you know, kind of is wrong, or even if you have a visa, you don't have papers, whatever, if you fear calling the police, that doesn't help the rest of us. We should be cooperating with the police. That's, you know, that's a safer society. Well, some of the aspects of the bill are aimed, as you say, specifically at restricting state and local law enforcement. Uh, you know, it restricts state agencies from aiding immigration enforcement. It prevents local police from enforcing immigration laws. It protects people from immigration checks and arrests by local officers. And so I guess my question would be, are you getting pushback from local and state law enforcement on this bill? Well, of course, this was something that we had to work through very carefully uh, with WASPAC and, and all the agencies that were you know, involved as far as uh, law enforcement was concerned. And so, you know, kind of it took a while. Um, we had to go back and forth about what could happen, what couldn't happen, under what circumstances, et cetera, until we got to a place that we feel we actually are doing something and yet we're not restricting the police from taking care of us and, and there to serve and protect. Well, you know, the bill also requires the attorney general to create policies that protect public and private facilities from ICE. And given that this is a state bill and that ICE is a federal agency, uh, can't ICE just override these protections if they choose to? No, not if they choose to. I mean, the federal government can, can add additional laws, federal laws. I'm, I suppose I'm not a lawyer, um, but they can change things. Um, we made sure that nothing in this bill, should it come to, to pass that the federal uh, government does something that says, if you do this, you will never receive funds from the federal government. Um, you know, things like that are also addressed. So we protect the state of Washington um, from anything negative and yet make sure that we do everything that we can do to keep Washington working and to, to help people feel comfortable, help people feel that the agencies of the state are here to serve and protect them um, and to, you know, facilitate our lives. Um, so, I th you know, I think we covered that, and, and I think that uh, our law enforcement agencies feel comfortable, you know, with what we've done. The, the uh, attorney general actually has created a, a comprehensive um, booklet or manual that talks to all agencies of the state about, you know, what they should and can do um, and how they should interact with all people um, in, in, a, in a way that really respects them, but... Um, protects, you know, all of us. Well, so then let's talk about the enforcement of the bill at the state level. Uh, what happens if state and local agencies, law enforcement agencies, refuse to comply with this? 
Well, you know, the, the, what what we've done is to work with the heads of the agents of the associations that represent them. And so that becomes an internal affair. They've assured us that they will take it very seriously. They've worked with this. They said this is the way our membership will behave. Um, and so from then on, you know, it's really a question of the governor and the attorney general. Um, I guess this, I suspect mostly the attorney general wants to become statutes. Specific penalties are not. Um, you know, uh, part of the bill. It's the, it's, it becomes the law of the land. It's the law of the land. And this is what you will or will not do. And from then on, I'm assuming that it would be an offense and that it would be something handled by the attorney general's office. Yeah, it is a concern, I think, because even though it might pass and become a statute, that you still may see situations in you know local, local law enforcement agencies across the state uh, not complying for whatever reason. And I suppose that's uh, something that, as you say, the Attorney General will have to deal with uh, down the line. Right now, uh, there is a push for people to support this bill. And one of the ways is to call your state senator, your representative. Uh, The 2019 legislative session starts January 19th. So uh, why does calling now help in your mind? Well, you know, first of all, because this the issue of immigration is such in everybody's mind right now with the things that we see happening. Um, this is a bill that I'm going to drop. Because we're in a new biennium now, um, we will have a new number, but I'm going to still call it Keep Washington Working, but it won't be 5689. Okay. And, you know, and it'll be assigned a new number. Um, and I just want this to be uh, top of mind going into the session. I'll drop it early. Hopefully, it can be one of the first things that hit the floor. Um, I'd like that to happen. The sooner, the better. Helps all people who are impacted by this, of course. Yeah. Well, and we'll keep an eye on the number. But in the meantime, when people call, they should say, uh, please support Keep Washington Working, correct? Absolutely. It's, it's really, I've been delighted that um, it's making the rounds. I had the opportunity on July 4th uh, to be with the governor and uh, listening to stories from the Immigrant Rights uh, Project um, and so a group of people talking about the types of situations that they, you know, that they were fleeing. And um, growing up, you know, as a New Yorker, um, I was so proud of uh, and, and a young Jewish girl, I was so proud of the, you know, the poem on the Statue of Liberty. Um, and to me, that was what we were all about. So uh, I'm, I'm really glad to hear people who don't know me, don't even know, you know, that, that I'm a senator, uh, coming out and saying, "We've got to, we've got to work on keep Washington working. We've got to get that bill passed." Um, it's really encouraging because they know that it reflects who we you know, what we think America is all about. And very frankly, um, you know, especially think about uh, us now with the low, low unemployment, thank goodness, it's a good thing. On the other hand, we have so many job openings. We just need the energy of, of these, these people coming to America. Almost always we get the best and the brightest. And uh, I hope that that can continue. Yeah, likewise. I mean, we are a country of immigrants. We, yeah. we are. Yeah. We Stories. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I just will ask you before you go, um, this is a Senate bill. I wonder, are you coordinating with anyone in the State House on a similar bill? Yes, I am. I have been working in the past with uh, Representative Ortiz Self, 
and um, others within uh, the House, of course, you know, just making sure that they're aware of it. And I can tell you, of course, you know, the first year when we, uh, the Democrats were in the minority in the Senate, um, we managed to get a hearing on the bill, and it was extraordinary. We had so much of, of the support from the community. It felt really good. Um, and we we didn't think we were going to get it out of committee. It didn't get out of committee, but we did get the hearing. And then um, the governor took a, really took a lot of the language from the bill and put it into the executive order. But the executive order is is you know quite limiting in terms of you know what we can control. It really needs to be in statute. Um, so this this last year short session, sixty days, yeah. really. Get it to the floor, but I'm determined, you know, this year, and, and hopefully with all the attention that the, the issue is getting, and we see that that the way we're handling it, we are, we are so in the need of a comprehensive, reasonable immigration policy on the federal level uh, that would really understand the realities of who we are as a country and, and what we are as an economy. But barring that, and until we get that, Let's keep Washington working. Yeah, you know, Washington has led the way in uh, on so many fronts uh, in terms of climate net neutrality. And this is another area that I feel like we can be uh, a leader. And uh, I mean, look at uh, you mentioned the 60 day session. Look at how much got done with a one senator margin. This is another reason, gang, everybody listening. This is another reason (laughs) to increase the margins for Democrats in November, because bills like this will come to the floor and it will make a difference. So, Senator Lisa Wellman, I want to thank you so much for your work on this. It's vital. And thanks for everything you do. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you for giving me a voice to your audience. I really do appreciate it. Anytime. Love to be back. And we are joined next by Indivisible Washington's 8th District's research team leader, Stephen Wilhelm, to give us a rundown of this week's actions. Hey, Stephen. Hey, how's it going, Stefan? Great, man. Uh, so, you know, uh, with Monday's nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, I-, I thought it would be a good idea for us to review the strategy for stopping his appointment. And we-, we talked about this last week in depth on the show, but I thought just as a refresher, uh, it's Indivisible's two-step plan. The first requires getting 51 no votes in the Senate. So talk about what we can do here in Washington to that end. Absolutely. So, um, as you were just saying, there is a a two-step process for um, fighting back against uh, Brett Kavanaugh's nomination. The first step is to stop this nomination, to get 51 no votes, and um, not to approve him as a Supreme Court justice. And then step two is to flip the Senate um, so the Democrats have enough votes to prevent a, a similar candidate from being nominated in the future. So the focus right now is on making sure that Democrats hold firm. And here in Washington state, that means we really need to focus on um, both of our senators, Patty Murray and uh, Maria Cantwell. Um, Maria Cantwell has come out with a statement that she's concerned, but not a really forceful statement that she is absolutely going to oppose Judge Kavanaugh as as Senator Murray has. So I think she needs some pressure. Exactly so. So I, I think my recommended action would be, uh, number one, to call Senator Cantwell and say, uh, please, Senator, you must be much more forceful and uh, forthcoming in your statements. It must be very clear that you intend to oppose Judge Kavanaugh, and uh, you need to come out and, and say that you are going to try and convince some of your fellow 
senators uh, like Joe Manchin, Donnelly, Heitkamp, Murkowski, and Collins to vote no on this vote as well. So, so we can call Senator Cantwell and we can call Senator Murray and, and tell her, hey, thank you for being very forceful and forthcoming in your statement. And um, please persuade your fellow mm-hmm. Washington senators that she needs to be um, more forceful in her opposition, just as you have been. Yeah, she's highly respected, and uh, I think she would be a very useful voice in that. And uh, oftentimes it really is just a matter of us collectively here in this state telling her that we have her back in doing that. So I think that's a, that's a great idea. Exactly so. So the second step, as you mentioned, is to win back the Senate. Um, and, you know, obviously we have two Democratic senators here. So how can listeners be helping from here in Washington State? You bet. There's a couple of things that um, listeners here can take action on. The first would be, uh, as probably everyone knows, Senator Cantwell is up for re-election this November. And as we talked about in, in our in your last session, it's surprising that there are 29 candidates uh, that are that are running for that Senate seat. And so, what needs to come out of the primary election on the 7th of August are two viable candidates and. My personal opinion would be the two that are going to come out of it are going to be uh, Cantwell and uh, Susan Hutchinson. So I would really encourage your listeners to work hard to make sure they work for a a viable uh, candidate to to come out of the primary. And I know, as we just talked about, um, you know, there's certainly some things about Senator Cantwell that perhaps we'd like to see more of, you know, see her be, be more enforceable like Senator Murray. But... First and foremost, I think what we've learned from the Tea Party and what we've learned from uh, the last election is better can be the enemy of good enough. And good enough is two Democratic senators here in Washington. Um, So we have got to make sure that um, we get a Democratic senator. My personal opinion is that Senator Cantwell. Once we've established that, the the next step is to retake the Senate. Unfortunately, Indivisible is going to help us with that. Uh, Indivisible thinks there's five states in play, uh, Arizona, Mississippi, Nevada, Texas, and Tennessee, and they are going to set up a uh, calling program so that we we don't want to call uh, those senators directly, but we want to call constituents in those states and ask them to take action, number one, to get out and vote and, and vote against uh, Republican senators in, in those states so that we can flip this, uh, the Senate from, from red to blue. Yeah, and I should just mention that uh, they the, the phone bank that is being set up is going to target progressive voters. So it's not like you're going to be calling and all of a sudden you're going to get a Trump voter on the other line. These are going to be people who are going to be sympathetic to the cause. And I should say, if you are interested in phone banking, uh, you can sign up to do that through Indivisible. It is indivisible.org slash save SCOTUS hyphen phone bank hyphen sign up. Uh, Don't worry about writing that down. It'll be on the indivisiblepodcast.org site. They are not ready to go just yet, but if you sign up, they will send you further instructions down the line. Okay, so let's talk next about net neutrality. This is something that you spoke about last Saturday. Um, So a few months back, as most of us know, the FCC voted to kill net neutrality. And since then, there have been moves in Congress to fight back uh, to try to preserve it, including a Congressional Review Act resolution, or CRA, which passed in the Senate and now it's in the House. Tell us what the CRA entails and what listeners can do to help. So uh, CRA stands for Congressional Review Act, and what it is is the Congress 
telling the FCC that we disapprove of your new net neutrality rules. So the Senate has already passed that uh, resolution, and so what we need to happen next is for the House to do likewise. Um, Naturally, the Republican leadership doesn't want that bill to come to the floor. The way House members work around that is by signing what's called a discharge petition, and if they get 218 signatures on the discharge petition, you know, more than half the House members signing the petition, that will allow that resolution to come to the floor. So what we need to do is we need to get our representatives to sign this discharge petition if they haven't signed it already. So specifically, Dave Reichert um, here in the 8th Congressional District has not signed that uh, discharge petition yet. And there's an opportunity for us to make a forceful public statement um, that he should do that. So on the 19th of July at 12 p.m., the great team out in Wenatchee has set up an event at Dave's Wenatchee office to deliver to him an open letter urging that uh, he sign a discharge petition and support uh, the resolution to reinstate uh, the net neutrality rules. So um, people can go to battleforthenet.com website and they can see there a listing of all the events and they can see there that um, there is right now uh, this event in in Wenatchee. If somebody is really motivated to to also have a similar event, they can go to that same website and um, register an event to deliver this letter. Again, it would be at noon on the uh, 19th of July is what they're trying to do to uh, get uh, everybody to ask their congressman to support this resolution. Absolutely. And, of course, we have listeners in Dan Newhouse's district. We have listeners in Kathy McMorris-Rogers' district and Jamie Herrera-Butler. And to the best of my knowledge, they have not signed off on this discharge petition either. So battleforthenet.com. So I'm going to have that available for listeners at indivisiblepodcast.org and also on the SoundCloud page. So, uh, you know, rev it up, gang. All right. So, um, you know, on the subject of the FCC... Uh, they are going to be voting to end what is called the Lifeline Program. Uh, first, tell us what that program does and how we can act to save it. You, you bet. This is such a sad effort. So what the Lifeline Program is, it's, uh, it provides a resource um, for people who are uh, living below the poverty line to connect to phone and Internet services. I think probably everybody knows how how vital that is. And so what the Lifeline program does, it provides a real modest $9.25 monthly subsidy to people, again, that live below the poverty line so that they can connect to these services. And the program benefits poor people, people of color, seniors, veterans like myself, and, and people with disabilities. And what's really sad about this is that nobody is asking for this program to be rolled back. Not Not even the GOP, right? Exactly. This is a brilliant plan from Ajit Pai and the two um, Republican members of of the Federal Communications Commission. They just thought of this out of their own little punkin heads, um, <laughs> thinking that this would, would be a good idea. So um, the, the action here would be to um, call uh, the FCC, and the number is one 225 and ask them not to stop this program, but to, to keep it going. It's, it's helping a lot of people. It's not hurting anybody, and nobody's asking for it to be, to be stopped. So 
Pull your head out. Yeah. <laughs> to put it bluntly. All right. Yeah. And I'll make sure that, yeah. that that phone number is available for people as well. OK. And so finally, for voters in Washington's 8th District, and we know that uh, this is a real flashpoint uh, for November. Uh, there is a, a big congressional race happening and the presumed Republican candidate is going to be Dino Rossi. And so uh, let's talk briefly about the first in a series of weeks of action directed at him to inform people about who he is and what he stands for. This week's focus is on immigration. So what are a couple of facts that listeners should know about Rossi's stance on immigration? I would say that probably the first thing that folks need to know is the separation of children from their families at the border is something that clearly has gotten a lot of uh, attention in recently. And <clears throat> Senator Rossi did come out with a, a statement, but it was really quite uh, weak. Um, it was literally just two sentences long, and I'm, I'm going to read it in, in its entirety just so folks know, which is um, his statement was it should not be U.S. policy to separate parents from their children. Congress should address this immediately by passing legislation to fix this problem, along with uh, the rest of our broken immigration system. So that was it. That was as sympathetic as he could get. Um, And what I deduce from this statement is that he would be very supportive of the two bills that the House voted down um, just, uh, just last month. There's nothing in here about, you know, what we should do to stop separating uh, children and parents. There's nothing that it would be immoral to just lock up kids forever uh, with their parents. Um, well, you know, and, and additionally, he was parroting Trump's line about Congress being responsible solely for changing the law when, as we now know, Trump could and in fact did do something about the policy with his own executive order. Exactly. So so the, the first thing that I guess I would really want to highlight for folks is that, you know, Dino Rossi is a vanilla Republican when it comes to immigration. He would be supportive of the really draconian good lap bill that actually got more votes than the compromise bill. The Republicans just don't know what they want to do on immigration, and, and Dino Rossi would be right there um, along with them. As, as you said, you know, Rossi is repeating uh, the Trump administration's inaccurate talking point that um, only Congress can act because, as you just said, actually President Trump did temporarily uh, fix the problem. And so Dino Rossi is not going to be any kind of a check or balance on the president. He is going to go right along with Donald Trump, Paul Ryan, and uh, Mitch McConnell. The, the other thing, the uh, last thing I guess I'll, I'll leave listeners with is um, Dino Rossi in 2010 sounded a lot like Donald Trump in 2016. Dino Rossi really likes the idea of a uh, physical barrier. Um, I've got a short quote here from him, and, and what he said in 2010 was, my point is we need to actually have a physical barrier. Before we start doing other things, we need to have a physical barrier, a tall fence with a high gate. Um, and that's really one of the keys. We have to allow legal immigration into the state. That's what's made America great is legal immigration. So my second point on, on Rossi would be he feels like another one of these Republicans who really wants to minimize, turn down, uh, get get as little as possible legal immigration And the way he wants to do it is with a wasteful physical barrier. Just about everybody, except Republicans, uh, agree that um, a physical barrier is just the worst way to do it. There's a lot of, um, you know, 
lot of high technology, uh, remote sensors, a lot of things that could be done to improve border security. Uh, a wall is the most expensive and least effective. Well, there you go. Well, and I should mention to listeners that this is going to be an ongoing campaign. Uh, it's called No Rossi, K-N-O-W, Rossi. And so this is something that we're going to come back to next week because uh, there will be another uh, focus on an issue. And we can talk about that then. But as always, uh, Stephen Wilhelm, thank you so much, man. My pleasure, Stephen. Thanks for inviting me. And one last call to action just came in, and this is for those of you who live in the third and fourth congressional districts. The Trump administration is looking to end the Flores settlement. Now, we discussed this on the show a couple of weeks back. This is the ruling that limits how long children can be kept in detention. And now Republicans in Congress have passed something called the Cole Amendment, which would remove critical licensing requirements for family detention facilities and basically allow for the indefinite detention of families. This would effectively grant the Department of Homeland Security the authority to jail families indefinitely. Representatives Dan Newhouse and Jamie Herrera-Butler both voted in favor of this amendment. So the call here is to phone their offices, tell them that you know that they voted to put children in indefinite detention, that you're going to be spreading the word about this, and that they will be held accountable at the ballot box in November. Okay. And finally, this week, we are joined by Aaron Albanese, who is going to give us a quick rundown of events coming up for activists around the state. Hey, Aaron. Hey. So, you know, because we just spoke with Stephen Wilhelm about the ground game around the Kavanaugh nomination, uh, I will just mention that there will be more events around that forthcoming. But in the meantime, uh, let's you and I start with a number of events that are happening this Saturday, July 14th. Uh, First, there is one that is happening at the Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma. Tell us about that. Sure. So um, Northwest Detention Center Resistance is still fighting and um, and also just trying to show solidarity with the detainees that are down at the detention center. They have informed us that the city of Tacoma has fenced off the public land outside the center in an effort to silence community resistance. Mm-hmm. And so what they've planned for this Saturday at 1.30 is a mariachi demonstration And uh, we have heard reports that the detainees inside are able to hear demonstration, noise making and um, music. (laughs) Yes. And music. So um, so that will be um, July 14th at 130 at the Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma. That's fantastic. All right. There's also going to be a benefit for the Northwest Immigrant Rights Project on Saturday evening. Uh, Give us the details for that. Sure. That's at the Royal Room in Seattle. Um, It starts at 530, actually, with a family dance. And um, the adult music starts a little bit later, featuring a number of acts, including Uncle Bonsai and Ruby's in the Dust. And as you know, Northwest Immigrant Rights Project has been providing direct legal help to um, detainees at the Northwest Detention Center and at SeaTac Federal Detention Center. And um, this event is going to benefit those efforts. Um, They've also sued the Trump administration over the family separation issues. Um, It's a kind of a pay-as-you-want on a sliding scale for Saturday um, from 10 to $30 or more if you feel like it. It's a good cause. You know, I should also mention that uh, the NWIRP's deputy director, Malou Chavez, will be speaking, and she's awesome. So uh, that's definitely something to check out. And uh, also, I will have – there's an email that you can uh, make reservations with in order to get a seat. You can get dinner reservations, so I'll make sure that that's on 
on the website as well. Um, and then there is another voter registration drive happening out in Wenatchee. Uh, tell us about that. So these are our friends at Indivisible Wenatchee are hosting another voter registration opportunity, and they need Spanish-speaking volunteers for each shift. No experience necessary. And this is going to be during the Summer Fiesta Latina. Uh, the voter reg drive will be held at the East Wenatchee Grocery Outlet on Valley Mall Parkway, um, Saturday, July 14th. And they're looking for volunteers for shifts um, from 1 to 3, 3 to 5, and 4 to 6. All right. Terrific. And yeah, I will definitely make sure that the Facebook events link is available for people at IndivisiblePodcast.org. You know, I will just mention briefly that there is also a Keeping Families Together rally, and that is put on by Snowco Indivisible. That is July 15th, Sunday at 1030 a.m. That'll be at Evergreen UU Fellowship. That is 1607 4th Street Northeast in Marysville. And then also we have a candidate forum that is going to be put on uh, by Indivisible Puyallup on July 17th. Tell us about that. So this is going to be for the LD25 candidates and Pierce County Council candidates. It's going to be Tuesday, July 17th, 6 to 8.30 p.m. at Pilgrim Lutheran Church in Puyallup. All right, and that is 10510 136th Street East in Puyallup. And then uh, finally tonight, Wednesday, July 11th, there is a Gun Sense candidate forum happening in North Bend. What can you tell us about that? This is going to be at the Sideview um, Community Park Gymnasium in North Bend. Um, it is tonight at 7 o'clock, hosted by the Snoqualmie Valley Local Group of Moms Demand Action. So this is just for the 8th Congressional District candidates that have received the stamp of approval as gun sense candidates from Moms Demand Action. And that is Jason Ritterizer, Kim Schreier, and Shannon Hader. Good. And that'll be a chance for folks to go and uh, hear them speak in case they have not made up their mind in advance of the August 7th primary. And uh, the Sideview Activity Center is at 400 Southeast Orchard Drive in North Bend. So lots of great stuff coming up uh, this week. Aaron, thanks as always. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for this week's show. For links to everything that we talked about here on the show and for the calendar of events, you can go to IndivisiblePodcast.org. You can also subscribe to the show while you are there. If you want to get in touch, make suggestions for guests or topics, or just say hey, the address is IndivisiblePodcast at gmail.com, and the Twitter handle is at IndivisiblePod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you again to my guest, Senator Lisa Wellman. Thanks also to Stephen Wilhelm and Aaron Al. And as always, my thanks to you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.